Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. All right, let me call your attention to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter number 7. Uh, we'll be picking up in verse number 11 this evening. And... Uh, Going down through, we'll go ahead and read down through verse 22. Um, we're going to deal with um, this evening a subject of a better hope. A better hope. If you've been here the last couple of Sundays, you understand some of the things that's being discussed, some of the things that's being talked about in the book of Hebrews, and how that the author of Hebrews is dealing with the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an intricate and important aspect of our, our Christian life. It's, it, it's necessary, and it's necessary for us to understand that's the reason that uh, the Lord had the writer of Hebrews uh, to put into words those things that we hold this evening in front of us. We're going to pick up, once again, we're going to pick up in verse number 11. We'll read down through verse number 22. The Bible said, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest that they should come after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance to at the altar. For it is evident that the Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without 
an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. But so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this evening. We thank you that we have been able to look into the confessionals of what we believe and we've been able to glean some things from it. We've sung songs that that talk about you, that convey to us our necessity for you. And, and Lord, we now look into the Scriptures and we find that there is the statement of a better hope that's found here in these Scriptures. Lord, we pray that as we look into this, we would understand everything that's going on, everything that was said, and Lord, may your scripture be made more clear and Lord, may it be more precise to us and made evident in and through our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was reading this week and I found a statement that in 1903, someone noticed there was a Russian sentry standing guard at a post with no apparent reason. He didn't have a reason that anyone could see for him being there. When he was asked while he was standing guard, he answered, I'm just following orders. The question was asked of his captain, the captain of the guard, but he did not know why the sentry was posted there. What was the reason? The inquiry eventually went up the chain of command all the way to the czar. And when it got to the czar, he had no knowledge either. Why is he standing there? He asked that someone track down the orders that were given and someone find an answer as to why this sentry was standing this post that it seemed like there was no necessity for. As they began to dig into it and as they began to investigate, they found out, now mind you, this is 1903, that this sentry is standing this guard. They went back and began to dig into it and began to investigate it and they found out and discovered that in 1776, Catherine the Great planted a rose bush there where he was, and there was a sentry that was ordered to stand guard over the rose bush that she had planted. The rose bush had died some 80 years prior to 1903. There was no rose bush there anymore. No one knew why he was standing there. He was just standing there because that's what he was told to do. I said all of that to say this. Traditions die hard. I know you've heard the story before that 
A lady takes out a ham. She cuts off one end of the ham. She puts it in the pot. They cook it. Well, one of the daughters asked the question, Mom, why do you cut off the, the end of the ham? I don't know. Mom always did. And they began to go further back to find out that it was great-grandmother's pan was too small. And she cut off the end of the ham so it fit in the pan. But through the centuries, daughter after daughter had cut off the end of the ham because mom did that. And it must have made the ham better. Traditions die hard. With that being said, religious traditions die even harder. And you and I know that even in the day that we're living in. We see religion, religious traditions around us that if you ask the question, why do you do that? The answer is going to be because grandma and grandpa did that. You go into some churches and you ask, why do we do it that way? Because grandma and grandpa did it that way. So traditions die hard and religious traditions die even harder. What does that have to do with our text tonight? Because the author of Hebrews is dealing with something that was not only a tradition, but was carried out from the beginning of when God told them some things at Sinai and placed some things in order and God put some things in order, but now God is doing something different. And the religious people don't like it. These Hebrew believers that the author of Hebrews is speaking to and talking to in this passage of Scripture are not liking what he's saying about a new priestly order. They're not liking what he is saying about the annulling of the law. And we, we read that as we walked down through here. That those things were happening. With that being said, we're going to look at two things tonight. We're going to look at them kind of in depth. But I want us to understand that we're going to look at the fact that the Levitical priesthood and the law are inferior and then we're going to look at the fact that the priesthood of Jesus and the new covenant that is spoke of here are superior. That was not setting well with these Hebrew believers. And they're, they're in a situation, and if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, you know that the writer, the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jewish believers that have gone into persecution. They've, they've been separated. They've been scattered out. And he's trying to draw them back in and let them know that there is a new priesthood and that there is a new covenant. The priest and the, Levit the Levites oversaw and regulated the worship at the temple. They oversaw the sacrifices. They oversaw and ruled the ceremonial cleansing that went on within the temple. 
These laws and traditions were very deeply entrenched in the Jewish people. They had become traditions that they had they had seen and they had done. And, and now that it's gotten to this point, they are doing them not because they've seen it in Scripture. They're doing them because that's what mom and dad did. Because that's what grandma and grandpa did. Because that's what the Levi's that went before us did. Well, there's some things that transpired several years ago prior to this writing that changed that. And that is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and, and the world was darkened for the space of three hours, what are some things that took place during that time? One of those is the veil in the temple was rent. It was torn. And it was not torn from bottom to top. It was torn from top to bottom. God opened up the veil. God who had told the people, His people, that they could not come into the Holy of Holies, they could only have a representative come in for them, and that was only once a year. Now, the veil has been rent. It's open. Anyone can walk in. We've seen that prior to this passage of Scripture when the Bible told us that we are to come boldly to the throne of grace. We're to come boldly, and we saw as we dealt with that passage of Scripture, we found out that we come boldly not with a, not with a, uh, a demeanor about us that we're driving God to do anything, but we come boldly because of the confidence that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's trying to reiterate those things, but these who are entrenched in these, these traditions that have been there are finding it hard to allow these, these traditions to be challenged. They're not wanting them challenged. The opponents of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, what was it said about him in Acts chapter 6 and verse 13 and 14? This statement is said about Stephen. This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. No wonder they got angry at Stephen. Stephen had told them that things had changed. They didn't want to hear that. Paul's opponents shouted at him in Acts chapter 21 verse 28. The, the, the opponents of Paul said this, This is the man that teaches to, to all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. They're saying, this is the man that's, that's talking against the law, that's talking against this place. When in reality, they weren't talking against it. They were just telling people God changed some things. 
Prior to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, there was the promise of the Messiah. You and I know that as Jesus came, he was the Messiah, and he did die in, in our behalf. He died for us. So we understand that the author of Hebrews had an alarming task trying to convince these Jews and these Christian leaders that the law and the Levitical priesthood was hopelessly, which, which also was hopelessly linked to the law, trying to tell them that it was useless, that it was void, and that the only hope was in the new covenant and the new priesthood that we found here that Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. He makes some radical statements about the law. The, the author of the book of Hebrews makes some radical statements. He made radical statements here in this passage of Scripture. Look in verse number 18, verse number 19. He makes this statement. In verse number 18, he said, For there is verily an annulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. What, is he, what, is he tell, what does the Word of God tell us in another place? The law is weak in that it cannot redeem man. The law's weak. Paul, uh, the, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews makes this statement. He's telling them about the unprofitableness and the weakness. He says in verse number 19, For the law made nothing perfect. We've probably heard the statement made, if you could keep the law, you could be saved by the law. The problem is you can't keep the law. No one can keep the law. It, even those that came to Christ and He told them, He said, do this, 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 and this. And they said, I've done that from my youth. They did not. The rich young ruler that came to him said, what must I do to be saved? He said, do this, 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 and this. And he said, I've done all of those things from my youth. And Christ said, okay, if you've done all of those things from your youth, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. What was he doing? He, <laughs> when, when, the, when, when that ruler came to Christ, and he asked him about what he must do to be saved. And Christ gave him and showed him the law. And that young man said, I've done all of these from my youth. Christ said, okay, let me turn the heat up a little bit. He had the law simmering on about medium. And the, the, the young man said, I've done all of that from my youth. So he reached over and turned it up to high. He said, go sell all you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. You don't hear from him anymore. Right. Why? Because he was unwilling to lay it all down. Christ was not giving him a condition whereby he could save himself. He was showing him, contrary to that, he was showing him that he could not save himself. He was showing that the law had no that the law as the as the author of Hebrews says here that it is unprofitable. It, 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 it has nothing that it can do for us. 
He also tells them in verse number 12 and also in verse number 18. Look at what it says in verse number 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity, made of necessity, a change also to the law. He's been telling them as we've been walking down through this passage of Scripture, and Jeffrey's done a tremendous job about presenting to us and introducing us to Melchizedek and showing us that Melchizedek, is, it, it's not important that we know who he is. It's important that he is pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important that we know who Christ is. Yes. So we come to this point and we understand that they're telling them that the law is useless. It cannot save us. And now he's going on to tell them that the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity of a change also in the law. People say we're no, no longer under the law. We're no longer under the law. We're under Christ. You think the law was hard? <laughs> Try to, and, and I say this this way, try to make your own way under Christ. You can't do it. You could not make your own way under the law. You cannot make your own way under Christ. And that's what Christ was trying to get them to see, and that's what the author of the book of Hebrews is trying to get them to see also. He's trying to get them to see what we find in verse number 19. In verse number 19, he said, For the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a what? Better hope. There's Christ. You want to find Christ in Hebrews chapter number 7? He's in the word better hope. And they said, he said, by the which we draw nigh unto God. How do we draw nigh unto God? We draw nigh unto God through Jesus Christ. There is no other avenue. You can't do good enough to get to God because we don't have that ability. God gave us the law as a schoolmaster to bring us to salvation. God gave us the law to show us our wrongness so that we see our need of a Savior. God did not give us the law just to give us a list of do's and don'ts. He gave us the law to point us to Christ. The law never was a list of things that we could check off and we would be okay. It has always been from the very foundation of the law, from the very giving of the law, it has always been pointing to Jesus Christ, showing us that we cannot keep God's law. Only God can keep God's law. He did not want his readers to go back to the old Jewish way as if it were good enough. Even if they suffer persecution for their faith, they must persevere and understand that Jesus Christ is the one that provides for them a better hope. And that that better hope is our only avenue in drawing nigh to God. He told us if we'll draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. Well, how do we draw nigh to God? 
through Jesus Christ. It falls into two sections in this passage of Scripture, this, these sections that we're looking at tonight. In verse number 11 through verse number 14, he argues for the inferiority of the law and the Levitical priesthood that it could make no one perfect. And then in verse 15 through 19, he argues for the superiority of the new covenant and the priesthood of Jesus Christ after the order of Melchizedek which enables us to be able to draw nigh to God. So I want to look at this first one this evening. I want to look at the law, the Levitical priesthood and the law and how it is inferior because it could not make any perfect. The law could make none perfect. There are three things I want us to consider as far as this is concerned. It means to put someone into a position which he can come or stand before God. That drawing nigh to God is a position to where we can come and stand before God. God is a holy and righteous God. If we come and try to stand before God in our own means, in our own way, that is where we find in Scripture that God is a consuming fire. You and I, if, if we've not been saved, then we abide under the wrath of God. But if we have been saved by the grace of God, if we've experienced the grace of God in our life, and the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us from our sin... The Bible tells us that now there remaineth no more condemnation for us. It is not what we ourselves have done or can do or will do. It is all in what Jesus Christ has done. So the argument that is being put forth here, we're going to find, he's even going to go on to argue it even further in chapter number 10, verse number 14, where he made the statement, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Through what offering? The offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. His argument is about the inferiority of the law and the inferiority of the Levitical priesthood. And we can see that in three different ways as we look at this passage of Scripture. Look at verse number 11 of chapter number 7. If therefore perfection was by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek? and not be called after the order of Aaron. The writer of Hebrews has just spent the first section of chapter number 7, the latter portion of chapter number 8, the first portion of chapter number 7, and he is telling us about the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, very, that was very 
aptly laid out, very well put out, and very well taught to us in the past couple of services that Melchizedek was a forerunner, a foreshadow of what was to come, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was after the order of Melchizedek. And I'm not going to belabor all those things, but there's several things that made that so. Melchizedek came out of nowhere and went to nowhere. Melchizedek was... His, his priesthood was forever. There were so many things that were laid out. Now we come to this, and the writer of Hebrews says in verse number 11, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest that should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Christ did not come from the Levitical tribe. He didn't. But He is our priest. It was laid out last week. He is not only our priest, but He's our prophet, our priest, and our king. We saw in one place where He was, he was foreshadowed as king and priest. We saw in another place where He was foreshadowed as prophet and priest. But there's been none until Jesus Christ who is prophet, priest, and king. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand if the Levitical priesthood had been perfect, God would not have predicted a new order after the order of Melchizedek. But God did. This was not something that just came up. This is something that God talked about. And you were told that last week. And I was told that last week. God talked about this in the book of Psalms, Psalm 110. The the prophetical psalm. The the, the psalm that talks about uh, Jesus Christ. And yet we see in the middle of that, we see... That is, it is a messianic psalm and it's telling about the Lord Jesus Christ and it's telling that he will be a new priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is not something just the writer of Hebrews came up with. This is something God set in order in two places and it, again, we were told about that. It was in Genesis where Abraham met Melchizedek and then it was spoken again in Psalm 110. Now we come to this point that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we understand that the Levitical priesthood had had been had not been perfect. And if it would have been perfect, then why would God have set forth an, another priesthood after the order of Melchizedek? Not only that, but the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the law and the priesthood are linked. They're tied together. We see that in verse number 12. So that when the priesthood changed, the law changed also. This is is important. God didn't just haphazardly put this here. It's important that we understand this, that with the change of the priesthood, the law also changed. Why? Because Christ kept the law. Because He fulfilled the law. Look at what He says in verse number 12. He said, The priesthood being changed, 
there is made of necessity a change also in the law. For he whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. He was saying this tribe that, that, that Christ came from was not of the priesthoodly order. But yet he has become the high priest. He has become that because of who he is. Not only that, but we understand that in verse number 13 and 14, Melchizedek and Jesus are clearly not of the tribe of Levi and thus represent a new order. Not a new world order, but just this is a new order. Uh, Jesus Christ is a new order of priesthood. Look at what he says there in verse number 13 and verse number 14. He said, For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. It is, it is not by mistake that God did anything he did. This plan was in order before the foundations of the world. God had this set in order. The author states that, any, that everyone knew that Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi, but he was from the tribe of Judah. He calls Jesus our Lord in verse number 14. And this is a title that he only uses in chapter 13, verse number 20, in verse number uh, chapter 2 and verse number 3 he wants us to recognize that Jesus isn't another human priest that's what's important he's not just another human priest he's not after fleshly human flesh he is after the order of melchizedek the the author overall points in, in verse number 11 down through verse number 14 that the law and the Levitical priesthood were inferior because they could not make anything or anyone perfect. If the law would have been able to make anyone perfect, if the priesthood could have made anyone perfect, they would not have had to redo it every year. What does, the, what does the writer of Hebrews tell us? That Jesus Christ, having want, offered once for sin, sat down forever on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Do you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus isn't sitting there. We, we think when we think about that verse, we think that Jesus is sitting there and every so often Jesus has got to pray, now you help, you, you, you help Brother Ricky because he messed up. Or he, he's praying over here and he's saying, you help Brother Charles because he, he messed up. Or, or you help the preacher because he really messed up. The reason he makes intercession for us is because every time God looks over, he's still sitting there. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. 
His, his being on the throne is what makes intercession for us. If somehow, some way, something was to happen and Jesus was to disappear from the throne, then there would be a problem. But He has one time offered, once offered for the sins of man, and He is forevermore seated on the right hand of the Father. So we know that Melchizedek and Jesus clearly are not after the, 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 the Levitical priesthood, but they are after the order of Melchizedek. And he plainly tells us all those things. He tells us that because of these things, those things that went before that were inferior. It was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen after. It was a foreshadowing of what was going to take place after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that it is not only inferior, but we come to this point in verse number 15 through 19, we come to this point where we find that the new covenant and the priesthood of Jesus are superior because they provide a way for us to draw nigh to God. We do not have to have a representative go for us. We, we don't have to have an earthly priest go on our behalf. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. You and I are able to go in. We're able to sit with God. Not because we've done anything, but because Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for us. We can enter into the Holy of Holies at any point, any time, any place in our life because Jesus is still there. That is the reason my anchor holds. It is not that, that I've gotten some anchor and I've tied it onto a rope and I've cast it behind the veil and I've tied it to my waist. My anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ and my anchor is behind the veil and I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in my anchor. I'm not wearing my anchor. I am part of the anchor and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in these verses of Scripture, this argument proceeds with three steps. I'll give you these and I'll... I'll try to hurry through these and we'll be done. The priesthood of Jesus is superior because it is based on the power of an indestructible life. What happened at the end of Genesis? At the end of Genesis, the Bible said Moses what? He died. They buried him. The man died, but God's work went on because when we open up the book of Exodus, we find that Joshua was brought on the scene. God had a way. But now we come to this priest that we find here in this passage of Scripture. And in verse number 15 down through verse number 17, we find in verse number 15, and it is yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of what? An endless life. 
Jesus Christ's life is endless. That is the reason that just as we said a moment ago, we can come boldly to the throne of grace because He ever liveth to make intercession for us. That is the reason His priesthood is better. Aaron died, his sons died, his grandsons died, all of those died all the way down till the new order came on. And the new order came on when Jesus Christ hung upon the cross and the veil was rent and Jesus Christ sits upon the throne and because he's there everlasting, you and I have a better priest, a far superior priest. We don't have to have another Jesus Christ is not training His Son to train His Son to train His Son to train His Son. This, 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 <laughs> you and I can look around over in England and the monarch is changing. And I think as it has gone to Charles III, and I understand he's 73 years old, he will not have a 70 year reign like his mother had. 73 he's not going to live to be 143 I mean there are people that have lived past 100 but I don't think there's any that have lived past 112 that's that's 31 years further down the road it's not going to make it so here William is thinking well daddy's going to die soon and I'm going to be the next one well, Jesus Christ didn't die, and there's nobody standing in line to take the priesthood of Jesus Christ because He is everlasting. The qualifications of being a Levitical priest were all external. Everything was external. They were chosen strictly because of their physical lineage. Along with, they had to be free of a number of physical defects. They had to be pure and, and without the blemishes. The ceremonial order for, the, for ordaining them was external. But Jesus comes along and His is internal. It's an everlasting life. So we know and understand that Jesus' priesthood is superior because it's based on the power of an indestructible life. Not only that, but the Old Covenant and the Levitical priesthood are not now set aside because they were weak and unprofitable. They've been, they've been set aside. We saw that in, chapter, in verse number 18 and 19. They were set aside because they were unprofitable. But Jesus Christ is profitable. That setting aside is a legal term that means to annul. What did he tell us in verse number 18? He said, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. It was set aside. Paul explains in Romans chapter number 7, verse number 12, he said, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Rather, the problem was the weakness of sinful flesh. That it could not keep the law. 
And Paul even told us in chapter 7 of the book of Romans in verse number 13 and 14, he tells us about the weakness of the flesh. So we understand that the old covenant was not any good any longer, but there was a new covenant. There was a new priesthood. We understand that the new covenant and the priesthood of Jesus provide a better hope through which we draw nigh to God. We can't miss that. We, we, we don't need to miss that. Our only avenue of drawing nigh to God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 19, he tells us this, For the law made nothing perfect. It couldn't. But the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh to God. Our only avenue to draw nigh to God is the Lord Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews links the word better because he uses it 12 times in the original Greek and he also uses it eight times, 18 times in the New Testament. Jesus is better than the angels. Chapter 1 verse number 4. The author convinces of better things concerning the Hebrews Christians in chapter 6 and verse number 9. The new covenant is better, a better covenant with better promises. We find that in these, these verses of Scripture. Jesus is a better sacrifice. We find that in, in chapter number 9 and verse number 23. Christians have a better Possession in heaven in chapter 10 and verse number 34. These men of faith sought a better country that is a heavenly one. We find that in chapter 11 verse 16. We receive a better resurrection because of Christ in chapter 11 verse number 35. Everything, everything that we find in the book of Hebrews that the author of Hebrews is pointing us to is better. It's better than the old. And it all points to the Lord Jesus Christ. The author's point is, if we've got something better, why in the world should we look back at what we used to have? If you've got something better, quit looking back. That's a, that's a reason that Paul made the statement, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said his eyes were fixed. And that sight that it was fixed on was the throne that Jesus was sitting upon. It was the priesthood that Jesus had there. Everything we find in the book of Hebrews is better. It's pointing us to a better way, a better sacrifice, a better covenant. A, everything's better, better priesthood. It's all better in the book of Hebrews. As we close this out, I want to give you two things real quickly. You may, you may be thinking this is great stuff if you are a Jew who were tempted to go back to Judaism, but I'd never dream of doing such a thing how does this relate to you and i if this was written to those jewish believers how can we walk away with an application of this in our life first of all 
We need to make sure that we understand and revel in the fact that you and I have been made accepted before God. Because that acceptance before God comes totally through this better way. You and I don't have acceptance before God outside of this better way. Secondly, we need to make sure that we are utilizing and enjoying the great privileges that you and I have in that we can draw nigh to God. When you go home this evening, when I go home this evening, and it comes time just before we lay our head on our pillow, and we stop for just a moment moment, and just breathe a prayer, whether it be audibly or inaudibly, we breathe a prayer and say, thank God for the good day. Or you go home and you fix a bologna sandwich. And you say, God, thank you for the bologna sandwich. Do you know what you've just done? You've walked in to the throne room of grace of a thrice holy God. And you've done that because this way's better. This way's better. It's eternal. And it exists because of the eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're right for God, right with God, for time and eternity, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not right with God because of what I've done. The only thing that what I've done leads me to be is not right with God. What makes me right with God? What makes me accepted in the blood, Brother Charles? Is because my Savior died on the cross of Calvary. I'll give you this and I promise I'm done. We were discussing some things the other night. I guess it was last Tuesday night when we got together. And Jeffrey made a statement. He said people have asked him several times, when did you get saved? And I liked his answer. He said, my answer to them is it was somewhere around 33 A.D. on a hill outside of Jerusalem. That's where I got saved. God made me His that day. And He gave me a better way. How can we not rejoice in that? How could we dare look back to anything this world offers when we know that it's such a better way? Let's pray.